This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 255 and I have a wonderful guest for us as we move into a new series, still talking about food right now, uh, but more in the personal health realm. And I have the wonderful Esther Cohen joining me from the US. She's a functional nutritional therapist, herbalist, and the author of a book called Alchemy of Nourishment, The Art, Science, and Magic of Eating. And I've always been curious to dive into this with different experts. There are a lot of different points of view, uh, people with Particular food philosophies tend to attract clients who have the same and help them get better in that way and others differently. And so I really do believe from having researched and interviewed so many different people over the years uh, that there are different ways that work for different people to feel their best, Uh, especially when it comes to food. Uh, There's a lot of of bio-individual element, but there's also the element of when we're sick or when we have dysbiosis, when we've got too many pathogens, they do the talking for us sometimes. So we do dive into that a little bit today when we start to talk about intuitive eating and really listening to the body's knowledge uh, so that we have agency over our health and we know what the body needs. At the same time, uh, when it's not the body's in the body's best interest to eat certain foods and yet we're craving them. So we talk about quite a bit of that. But what I love about this, uh, and we haven't really talked about a huge amount on the show, except when I interviewed Sage Magdalene, um, definitely one worth looking up if you enjoy philosophy around low-tox living topics. Um, But that is to say the energetics of food and when we eat certain things, what that represents and what it might give us uh, from different vegetables to meats um, and even different types of vegetables and different types of meats. And she goes into that today as well, which I found fascinating. So I'm going to jump into that interview in just a little minute. But I want to say I have a little bit of exciting news. Uh, Just last week, my second book was born into the world. So Low Tox Life Food is now out there. And if you're in Australia, you can grab it from Booktopia or your favorite independent bookstore. Uh, Please don't buy it from Amazon if you can possibly help it. Um, because they're doing just fine. And I think we really need to spread the love and, uh, and make sure we're supporting, um, smaller businesses. Uh, and, um, if you're in the U S I saw that it was available for pre-order on Barnes and Noble. Um, and I was very excited to see it there. I was trying to find a non Amazon uh, recommendation to make, um, and worldwide, there were a few different sites in different countries because in the UK and Europe, it'll be available, uh, in, on the 6th of January and in the U S on the 8th of February next year, but you can already pre-order it and grab your copy. Now, pre-ordering when you're one of the overseas readers is especially important 
because these books are getting printed and then trucked out there. And I don't want you to miss out if you think, oh no, I'll buy it when it comes out. They actually order however many have been pre-ordered as their idea as to how many they need. Uh, So I just wanted to give you that intel. If you're overseas, it's out, it's available and it's available for you guys for pre-order, but for Aussies, it is out and you can grab it today and you'll probably get it in the next couple of days if you order it online. It's been amazing to see the first few people receive their uh, pre-ordered signed copies. I've got a link in the show notes for just the last few hundred uh, signed copies that will be available through Booktopia. You just have to go through my author link to get that. And um, when an author shares a special link, I'm just giving you guys intel. This helps me, but it helps all authors because um, we don't make a huge amount of money per book. Uh, There are a lot of people to pay in the process of producing a book. And um, if you order through author links that they provide, that means we get a little affiliate sale from that online provider as well. So it just means that we can boost our royalty earnings a little bit. And I know a lot of authors have spoken to me about this in the past. So I'm going to put my neck out there and let you guys know how it works. Uh, Because I think a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, you know, they're doing great. They've got this best selling book. But if you're only earning a couple of bucks per book, it it takes a lot of books um, to make a living. So thank you for supporting authors, for supporting books. Um, Low Tox Life Food is something I've wanted to bring out for a long time because. I've been studying food, climate change, food philosophy, uh, fussy eating. You guys know I've done a lot on that with parents over the years. And I've also had a look at how despite so many differences and different preferences and different beliefs and so many strong arguments either way of eating uh, vegetarian or vegan or keto, uh, there are a lot of people who have a huge amount of belief behind certain forms of eating. I wanted to find a way to write a book that helped us focus on where we overlap. So for the person who either feels a bit confused by all the messaging and just wants to gently um, tread their path uh, from their plate, Um, but still concerned about the planet and still concerned about their health, what are the biggest drivers uh, that we can all get behind regardless of how we eat? And I help identify what those are. And then we do a whole bunch of deep diving into um, ultra processed foods, into regenerative agriculture, into uh, food waste, uh, and how we should be ditching that all together and composting and worm farming. And then of course, a ton of recommendations, ways to expand your food vocab. What do I do with these leftovers? There's so many lists to help you. There's lists to help you shop for great produce, little gentle questions you can ask at the market or the butcher or the fruit and veg grower down the road. Um, and then we go into yummy recipes and you guys know me over the years, I keep things pretty simple. Most of the time, every time I I bring out a show tune, like the chocolate mousse cake, that's in there, that's a little bit more involved, but generally I like to make things super simple. So, uh, we have, I think 
over 80 recipes in there for different blobs and sauces and dollops and dressings and marinades, uh, feasts that you can share with all your friends and family, and also um, my adaptables. And the adaptables are base recipes that you can take in a multitude of different directions because I think that really helps give us food freedom from having to follow a recipe to the letter every time. And it helps the people who think they can't be a good cook be really intuitive, uh, clever cooks. And those sorts of adaptables also help us see how much we can cut food waste, um, never mind composting and worm farming in this respect, but actually using up all those little bits and thinking, oh, they've asked for 800 grams of um, pumpkin. I've actually got half a cup of cooked sweet potato left from last night's meal. I'll drop the pumpkin back to 500 grams and I'll put that sweet potato in from last night and it'll all be good and really just start thinking a bit more smartly. So uh, I know that these sorts of things that I discovered as I learned to cook probably 15, 17, 18 years ago, really when I had to go gluten-free was when it started for me. Um, and, uh, and, and I just, I wanted to help people by literally stepping out my own cooking smarts journey uh, so that uh, you could develop those two if you didn't feel like you had smarts. But if you're a really good cook already, there's a bunch of things to push your buttons as well. It really is the book for everyone who eats. That's the thing. (laughs) And uh, it debuted number one in all cookbooks in Australia, which was crazy. Uh, But what I love about that, it's not even about making me feel good, but the symbolism behind that in that I could not cook to save myself 17 years ago unless I was following a recipe step by step and I would still stuff up and I would still set the fire alarm off when I'd cooked a steak or I would still um, get the fritters wrong, whatever. I just was not a good cook. And uh, here I am with the number one selling cookbook in all of Australia. So if you are out there thinking, I just, I don't, I'm just not good in the kitchen. There is hope for you, my friend. There is hope for you. Um, I think I've I've spelt that out quite well with this. So if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what does. Um, and uh, and yeah, so oh, that just makes me laugh, to be honest. But anyway, before I jump into today's wonderful guest, I want to introduce back to our sponsorship um, for the month of October, the wonderful Block Blue Light. Really simple offer. The code is LOWTOXLIFE15 um, and you can head to their blockbluelight.com.au website. If you don't know about why you want to block blue light from especially from your evenings, Uh, That's the most important time to do it. It's really all about circadian rhythm and melatonin levels. So our melatonin levels start to rise in the late afternoon and they should keep going up and that's what makes us nice and sleepy. But if you're finding yourself a bit tired but wired, a bit like, oh, I might scroll Instagram for another hour, or might just watch another episode of Ted Lasso, which, by the way, I completely understand. We are addicted in this family. Um, and trying to ration ourselves out to savor it a little bit longer. But you, you get my point. If you're that kind of waking up in the night, in the evening, and really being very alert, chances are blue light is affecting that natural melatonin rise to make us sleepier and sleepier as the evening goes on. So my top 
top, top, top two must-haves from the range are the blue light blocking evening glasses. They're sexy and orangey, uh, but not as bad as the early generations of blue light blocking um, glasses for the evening. They're actually really lovely frames now. So we're we're getting somewhere, (laughs) which is nice. My husband doesn't call me um, a a cast member of Star Trek anymore when I wear them. So that's, that's progress, right? And the second thing I recommend is those beautiful amber evening um, uh, light globes. So in the evening, we have that warm, yellowy, orangey hue. You can see, actually, I did an Instagram post last week um, of myself in the living, in the living room in the evening having dinner. And it's just a beautiful warm glow. It's so relaxing. There's no blue light. There's no mercury like there is in a lot of, uh, eco light bulbs, um, which can be quite dangerous if you accidentally drop one and they break. Um, and, uh, so you've got the confidence from the environmental toxin perspective, you've got the confidence from the ditching the blue light, and I guarantee you'll notice a difference. If anything, it just makes you feel so chilled and calm, um, where blue light, I mean, think of standing under fluorescence. It's just, it's disarming. It's very tense to be under a fluorescent bright light and really, um, a regular blue light, um, light bulb in the evening is doing the same thing, but just on a tiny scale. So make the switch, give it a go. They ship worldwide. So this is good for everybody. Lotox Life 15 is your code and blockbluelight.com.au is the website. I hope you enjoy them. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with the wonderful nutritionist, herbalist, and author of Alchemy of Nourishment, Esther Cohen. Hello, Esther. How are you? I'm well. And how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. On this sunny Thursday morning here in Sydney as we chat and you're all the way over in Colorado. I am um, excited to have you on the show. We're talking about nutrition today, but we're weaving a whole bunch of different angles through our topic to look at it in as holistic a way as possible. And I thought I would start by asking you, what has your personal relationship with food been over time, you know, as a young girl, as someone then studying nutrition, deciding to support people in that way in your career, um, that you must have had some epiphanies and awakenings along the way? What what was all of it like for you? Uh, Well, for me, I grew up in the southern United States, Mm -hmm. and uh, I would say in terms of uh, the foods we ate, they were pretty poor. They Mm -hmm. were extremely overcooked, uh, most of them fried. And um, very young, I I had a mother who was not a good cook. And at about seven years old, I started cooking. (laughs) Wow, that's out of sheer desperation, sounds like. Yeah, it was. It was like, (laughs) oh, this is, I can make a better meat sauce than she can. Mm -hmm. And um, that'll help out. And um, so my journey with food was I, I, I think I was born with an inherent capacity to cook and and create uh, spicing and that sort of thing. And so I would cook for all of my friends, like, you know, we'd have parties and I make pizzas, you Mm -hmm. know, at a very young age. And and, you know, kind of supply the food. But I also grew up in what I'll say was the beginning of eating disorders. Mm-hmm. 
where you know Twiggy was very thin and this image of being very uh, skinny was important. And I had a real low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I tried every diet out there. I, I ate the broccoli diet for about two weeks. And oh my goodness. My friends were like, oh my God, what is that strange smell in the room? <laughs> You were like a little sulfur bubble kind of wafting around. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and the uh, grapefruit diet and the, you know, the one where you. Oh, my drink- mom did that one. Yep. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and drinking the apple cider vinegar, which actually I know now, you know, was putting HCL in my body, but I overdrank it. And, and, and so I was kind of a mess mm-hmm. really, to be honest and very, very lost. And, um, it spilled over into, of course, my, uh, relationships with friends and family. And, um, I just feel very fortunate that I didn't go full blown into an eating disorder, but it really, um, set me on my path. I left Mm -hmm. home very early and I lived what in Atlanta, moved to Colorado moved to the mountains, kind of looking for myself. Mm. And um, as such, I would would take on uh, learning different cuisines. And oh, that's one of my favorite things to do with my son. We love that. Yeah, that mm. Actually, that was how I ended up putting myself through college was creating the, these big feasts. Um, I would go and, and meet uh, foreign students and get their recipes from them and mm, learn how to cook smart and it grew into a catering company mm-hmm. and so I had the first natural foods we made everything from scratch catering company in Boulder Colorado and it was highly successful but I started to feel uh what can I say a bit shallow in that mm-hmm. I didn't have uh the nutritional background that I wanted to have so I went and got my master's in nutrition and I had a a very deep background in Chinese medicine at that Mm -hmm. point. And, oh, I think I forgot that growing up, I had lots and lots and lots of sinus infections and tonsillitis Uh and I had a plethora plethora of antibiotics. And, and, So it was this kind of really slow uh, trial by error that I began to heal myself through food because I believed uh, it had to be through food. I I was not oriented towards the pharmaceutical uh, drug industry because it always seemed to make me sicker. Mm -hmm. I have a very sensitive system. And so I went to learn nutrition And even there, I found myself, um, I don't know, unhappy. Mm -hmm. I can remember arguing with the dean of the department because he said, it's just vitamins, minerals, calories in, calories out. And I said, no, I will prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. It's so much more. Yeah. And And, and set me on my path. Fantastic. And I mean, you said it yourself when you said, you saw Twiggy, you saw someone skinny, and then all of a sudden everyone was trying to be super skinny. Um, 
Do you feel like it was that kind of era that set us on this path to always looking out there for the wisdom on how to be our best selves instead of inside ourselves? Well, you know, it's very interesting that you say that because I think two things happen simultaneously mm. is that we also began to meditate mm-hmm. and go inward, right? Yet there was this funny kind of um, duality that happened at the time where we did, we looked externally for feeling okay about ourselves mm. because we started to take on more of a, you know, commercial, how do I look mm-hmm. than yeah. a, you know, how do I feel? And it's interesting that you say that because I would say the biggest component of my work or one of them is body sensing, mm-hmm. like not how do I think about this diet? Yeah. <laughs> so many people come into me and they go, oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to see a nutritionist. What are you going to take away? And I read about this diet and I think it's really good. And I always laugh and say, well, you don't eat with your head. Yeah. You eat an experience with your body. How does it feel in you? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think we've gotten so far away from that, that we, we read, you know, whether it's the paleo diet or um, any of the numerous diets that are out right now, you know, they have incredibly positive aspects to them. Mm, well, they're all ditching junk food. So that's a, that's a great plus. Yeah. Plus. <laughs> you know, it, it's really changing yeah. to like, okay, I'm going to have to make my own food now and I'm going to eat real food, mm. but there's still a, a, a way of giving kind of credence just over to our heads Mm-hmm. the intellectual science of it, rather than how is this experience really feel in my body? Did it give me energy or, or am I actually tired? Mm. Yeah. And do and, you think that's one of the major challenges is just the sheer amount of information out there makes us think we need to know everything and try and analyze everything and pick the smartest person to follow. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy, but really it's all productized versions of real food, because if you productize it, you can make a business out of it. And I mean, that's just, unfortunately the facts. Right. That That's really true. And we've, we've never been taught to trust ourselves. Yeah. We've never been taught to be our own physician. Mm to go to the doctor and say, here's what I've got going on and here's how it feels and what I think. And perhaps the symptom is giving me some information mm. has some wisdom for me. Yeah. It's more like, like you said, we externalize our looks. We also externalize our symptomology. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was reading about you, Esther, to um, to form my questions and think, you know, what have we not covered on the show before? Because there's so much you can talk about. I found that you had actually co-authored the first uh, first of Colorado's um, disordered eating programs to support people who were really lost, you know, as we are when we hit that uh, territory. Um, can you talk to me about what maybe some of the earliest warning signs are that we're disconnecting from ourselves too much or where um, we're starting to um, obscure uh, our relationship with food into a negative space uh, that actually needs someone's professional support? What are, what are some of the signs? Because I know a lot of parents struggle with this, with teenagers. 
Uh, but people well into their adulthood have really unhealthy relationships with food. What, how, do, how can we know that we actually need a bit of extra support with, some, with this? I think anxiety is one of the biggest drivers mm-hmm. in our culture today. And so that's always a good red flag. Right. Like, and then where it becomes anxiety over eating, mm-hmm. right? I don't have time to eat. And, um, oh, I know that lettuce won't make me fat. Mm. I'm going to sit down and eat lettuce. So there's this sense of um, disconnect from what nourishment does. It turns it into such nutrition, Mm. like the science of calories in and calories out. And, you know, for many years, we were extremely fat phobic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the of some of these new paleo diets is that, you know, they welcome fat back into the diet. Yeah. So th- the warning signs would be any kind of extreme uh, orientation towards good food, bad foods. Gotcha. Yeah. Not wanting to eat with others. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of moving food around the plate and not really eating it. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just too busy to eat. Mm. You know, there, there's there's so much of that going on. Eating on the run. Uh, most of your meals are made of smoothies. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we don't chew and engage in our food. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big one, isn't it? And and I, I always say, if you really do love a smoothie, because I, I'm quite partial to one. I like a green smoothie in the afternoons. Um, it's one of my favorite like little sippers while I'm doing a bit of work and I just have a little sip and it's my energizer, the 3 p.m. Um, uh, disclaimer, I do also have a bit of 85% dark chocolate. <laughs> I love the stuff. Um, I, I, I call it magnesium. <laughs> um, but I, I understand what you're saying. When we start to make liquid meals our foods, then we're missing important enzymatic reactions. We're missing a relationship to food. And I often talk about this with fussy eating and, and, and parents trying to navigate that with little children these squeezies that we give our toddlers now are an absolute nightmare. And I think they're really setting us up for a generation of fussiness and control and issues around food because they never see a pear. They never see a sweet potato. They just squeeze this weird puree into their mouths and there's zero engagement. Um, It's horrifying to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, I watch so many parents um, struggle with Mm. feeding their kids. And actually, you know, if you were to really step back and have a much more, um, expansive and inclusive relationship to food, just feed your children what you're eating Yeah, and, and let go of kind of this concern. Mm. Will they like it or not like it? Yeah. Their taste buds are so much more, um, sensitive, stronger than ours. Sweet Mm. is, you know, is five times sweeter. Yeah. Sour, five times sour. So give them a nice mixture of that. Mm. I remember when my daughter was a baby, uh, we had smoked salmon and I thought, oh my gosh, no way is she going to like that. Oh, that was my son's favorite food for about a year. He just, he loved it every day. 
Yeah, and so did she. She called it lox fruit. Oh, and <laughs> can I have lox fruit? You know, and I was like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> so and cute. I think so much of how our children eat is what we bring to the table mm. with, you know, our fears, our attitudes, or, you know, oh, they, this food is a good food, bad food. If mm. it's real food, I, I don't think we need to be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Um, so let's then talk about intuitive eating and how we can teach our kids as they grow and how we can get back in touch with it. Because something I feel is a major roadblock to intuitive eating is that our gut dysbiosis is often so bad that it's actually your gut bugs telling you what to eat. Uh, and it's not the good guys. So they're like, sugar, please. Yeah. More sugar, please. Something sweet, please. And it's very hard to start intuitive eating when it's literally screaming out for um, ice cream every five minutes. So what are some of the first steps that we can start to actually build that bridge again? Well, I'm I'm so glad you asked this because I have this uh, actually new book that I just came out with. Oh, fabulous. What's it called? called? Contemplation. Mm -hmm. Actually, Show it to you here. Yeah, please do. If, if you can see it. Oh, fabulous. I'll put it in the, because this is just video for everyone listening. I'll pop it in the show notes for you guys. Okay. Mm. And it's called the Journal of Embodiment. Mm-hmm. And in it, I talk about the seven hungers. Okay. You know, what do we really hungry, hunger for, right? Mm-hmm. Are we hungry for uh, companionship? Mm. Are we hungry because we're so stressed out? You know, are we actually hungry for nutrients because we're missing nutrients? What are these? And, and, and so there's, there's that where we start to just observe, hmm, what am I hungry for? Mm. But another kind of orientation that I have is what I call eating from the four directions. Okay. Interesting. Talk to me about that. So when you eat from the four directions, um, you're, when you eat from the East, East has to do with knowledge mm-hmm. and science. Okay. And, and so I'm eating this meal because science or the, the, you know, diet professionals have told me to eat this particular way. Mm. I should not have carbohydrate. I should have, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so then when you eat from the South, you're eating from comfort foods from your family, those childhood memories that make you feel good. Mm. So maybe you're going to have mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is for you. Right? Yeah. And then when you eat from the West, you're eating from your intuition. Mm-hmm. Like, Hmm, I'm just feeling like today would be a good day to have a hamburger. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I never eat hamburgers, but today I want to eat a hamburger. Mm. And then when you eat from the North, you're eating from your ancestry, Interesting. that heritage that, that, you know, your genes, mm. have, right. Or, and forgive the um, beginner's question here, but are you talking about like uh, symbolism of these four different uh, orientations or are we getting so technical that we're facing a certain way? Like, I know I'm going to be asked these questions. So I just want to be really clear. No, it's the symbolism. So mm-hmm. I, I work with um, the four directions yes. and the five directions in Chinese medicine a lot. And I started to like, go, well, what do they symbolize in terms of 
how we mm, how that looks on our plate. Yeah. So it's just a question you start to ask yourself, like, oh, I chose this meal because I'm eating from the east. Oh, I mm. chose this meal because I really am eating from the south. Mm-hmm. So you start to become more involved and engaged rather than trying to dismiss. If you find out, wow, I'm eating a lot of comfort foods. You could say, well, is, do I have, you know, are they really sugary or am I really lonely Mm. or am I so stressed out? I'm going to food for comfort. Got it. And so can I, Oh, sorry. Um, no, you, you finish. And then I'll ask you another question. So you could start to see a pattern in yourself. Got it. Right. And you, and you're like, wow, I never connect with my intuition. I never have this like urge of, Hmm. If for me, sometimes I don't eat much ice cream at all in my diet. It's just not Mm. my food, but sometimes it's a summary evening and like, my intuition says, let's have an ice cream. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I'm not judging it. Good food, bad food. I'm like, Hmm, that's curious. That's what I want. I'll go try it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I love that. And so for people who don't understand the broader definition of the East, South, West and North, in Chinese medicine. Can you share a little bit about that so we can see how that overlaps in different areas of our lives? Right. Oh, well, I'll do the, the, the directions in, in what I'll call indigenous or native American. Wonderful. Because the, the East has to do with a new day, new birth. Mm-hmm. It has to do with knowledge. The Eagle is one of the symbologies that it flies high. So it can have a big perspective mm-hmm. and yet, narrow in on really precise um, places, Mm. you know, whether it's a a mouse running in a field, the eagle can see it high above. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say that it's more science. It's more the intellect. Yeah. Okay. The South has to do with the heart, Mm. the fire, community, self-love, right? It's warm Mm. fires in the South. So those are those comfort foods, those familial foods that make you feel included. Yeah. Um, The West has to do with the setting sun. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's relaxation. It's walking into the mystery, you know, it's dying. Mm. Yeah. So it's that intuition and instinct lives in the West are more animal nature yep, and intuitive nature that comes to us through our gut knowing. Mm. And, and then the North has to do with our ancestry mm-hmm. with all of those who have walked this earth before us and the wisdom that they have uh, left us. So where the East is knowledge, the West is wisdom. Beautiful. And, you know, I'm thinking about North and ancestral wisdom and and how marketing kind of got in the way (laughs) from the 50s onwards. And so so we didn't have those recipes passed down from generations. And, of course, global plane travel meant that families were broken up and we all moved away from each other. And and it's kind of harder to have that historic ancestral wisdom these days 
it's something you really have to seek out, right? Right. Mm. I know. And I, I mentioned earlier that I was learning different cuisines of culture when I would present them. I actually did them as, as ways of making money to put myself through school. Yeah. Um, I would serve them in the custom and costume of that country. Wow. So you got the real flavor of what that food was a part of mm-hmm. kind of imbibe that experience of that culture, not just what I'll call the flavor principles of that culture, but Mm -hmm. also actually the experience. Because I think of nourishment as as a much broader concept than just the food on our plate. Yeah. And so we, we kind of, in my experience of traveling, which I've had the opportunity to do a lot of, I love eating in different countries to experience how uh, the peoples of that culture really engage in that celebration of eating, Mm. how that flavors their foods. Fascinating. So it just has me thinking now um, is one of the reasons we're so disconnected, disoriented, and we seek the answer out there instead of intuitively is because many of us who are having these conversations come from new countries or have moved to different countries and we've lost some of our lines of intuition. Absolutely. We've lost our root. Mm. I mean, I'm not really from the United States either. I'm mm. a, a first generation yeah. American. And so it's, it's very interesting to try to go back to my cultural roots. Mm-hmm. And what are yours? Mine are Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine are French. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and so it's really interestingly satisfying. Mm-hmm. I think is something that we've lost with our foods that we don't come away feeling really satisfied. Mm. And um, as as a culture around the world, our foods have gotten sweeter. Yeah, and energetically sweet is very shattering, mm-hmm. especially not a whole sweet. A whole sweet would be a fruit. Yeah you know, or even some meats are sweet and and other foods are sweet, but, you know, our refined sugars, they're very fracturing. Mm. And, and so we lose that coherence that food once offered us. Gotcha. Yeah. Stable. Mm. And, you know, you can see a lot of people painfully trying to make sense of food for themselves, especially now, um, with uh, animal rights being such a huge subject and people then learning about the horrors of factory farming or live exportation of animals and, and things like that. And then we, we then have this purest idea that we can be completely cruelty-free and we can somehow find a way to eat in a way that kills nothing. And um, I, I'd like to ask you how you feel about that and how you guide people who are really troubled in that area. Um, It's definitely not a judgment on people making vegan choices. I have no place judging anybody and how they eat, but I'm philosophically curious about this subject. And whenever I speak with someone who has decades of experience, I always like to ask the question, how do we navigate these times where we literally feel troubled by the truth of our food system? Um, And how do we healthily move forward once we know? 
Well, thank you for this question because I think it's a it's a very important topic that we have now. And I am a big proponent of regenerative eating. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and and really looking at what hundreds of thousands of years of development of, of humans has has offered us. Mm. And I agree that the way we raise animals is inhumane. Mm. And the amount of pesticides and fungicides that we put on our food crops is is just hideous. Yeah. Well, if we think of the earth as a living organism of made up of billions of living organisms, it's also inhumane. Yeah, mm. it's it's we're mm. just killing all mm. the time. Yeah. So what we really, you know, I think our work is to not be a card carrying, you know, eater. Mm. I'm vegan or vegetarian or this diet or that diet. And I've seen it so much over my work in this field that we, we carry our, our, our diet orientation, the way we do political orientations, which Mm. is really kind of crazy. But what we want to do is how are we best going to kind of serve the regeneration of our planet? And that means raising our meats in a very different way so that they graze and they actually break up the soil, which allows the microbiome to diversify and, and uh, get air aerated, Mm. right? And then move that cattle and perhaps bring chickens in Mm. and, and have them, you know, fertilize the land as well and, and eat bugs and, keep doing this in a way that actually we reclaim our grasslands. Mm. We have healthier cows. We treat them humanely. We raise our chickens out in free range as well. So that we're actually not only enhancing the microbiome of the soil, Mm. which ultimately is going to change our microbiome because we're terribly dysbiotic. Mm. You know, I, mentioned at one point that those sugar bugs, yeah, you know, we're, we're running your diet mm-hmm. and, you know, the way that we're going to really get healthy is if we're really consciously eating some of this microbiome to bring us back into balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we become, you know, regenerative eaters. Yeah. And, and also a sense of reciprocity and grace that we hold with the the spirit of the animal mm. and the spirit of the plant. Like, yeah. You know, plants are, I, I do a lot of plant uh, medicines. I create a lot of my own uh, alchemy, herbal medicines. Mm. I've right? just started myself. I'm making my first uh, nettle extract. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> exciting. Mm. And, and so I, I, I like to live in conversation. Mm with my plant allies, you know, and I have chickens and I go and talk to the girls, you know, every day. So I have a relationship. I'm not cut off from, um, my food. Mm -hmm. There's a a deep appreciation there. And I think, you know, if we go back in, in our human history, there's always been like rituals done before going on the hunt. Mm. Right. And when the food came back, a celebration and a mm. feast, because it was so much appreciation for the, the life that gives us life. 
Yeah. That's the food. We, we all are eaters and we're all eaten. Mm. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day. And Mm. it's bringing back that, that sense of gratitude to the reciprocity and, and then the stewardship that we hold, there's a responsibility as humans that we have to raise these animals humanely, you know, with love and as well slaughter them in that way. Mm. And, um, you know, Temple Grandin, she's a woman who really has uh, created an incredible system of humane slaughtering. Mm-hmm. I haven't and, heard of her. I will look that up. Uh, she's, she's fabulous. Mm. And, and so that there's not adrenaline surging through these animals mm. when they're slaughtered, but beauty, calm, respect. And so I think that as a practice, you know, whether you, you eat vegan or you eat animal products, it, it's bringing the sense of connectivity and gratitude for life mm. and how to create a healthy organism on the planet. I love that because that gives everybody scope from however they want to create that connection and with whatever they want to do that. But the connection part is the most important. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And because often I'll see people who simply to be honest with whatever they have going on, whether perhaps they're pregnant or they have a particular, um, even depression. I have one client today and, um, she really needs to bring, uh, meat, the strength and energetic quality of red meat into her diet. Mm. Because I I look at the energetics of food, not just the nutrient content. Mm-hmm. And so she needs that strength, that stability, that fortitude, and she needs those amino acids yeah. that meat provides. And so it was helping her come to a place of, again, that gratitude and reciprocity and honoring that life mm. and making sure she's eating animals that have been consciously raised. Mm. And, and, and so that we, we actually have to take responsibility and participate yeah. in our food. We've become so removed that we just go, I like to think of grocery shopping as I'm hunting and gathering, right? <laughs> 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 I'm going to eat. I, I want to get the, the ripest, but not too ripe. And, yeah. and, and that's sort you know, I don't want any added uh, food enhancers or colorings or anything mm. that's going to preserve it past its natural, you know, life cycle. Mm. And um, it, it, so I think it's like bringing that awareness to it rather than a right, wrong, good, bad. Mm. I think we've put so many things in those categories of judgment. Yes. Rather oh my than- gosh. Everyone has an opinion about how everyone else is eating. Mm. Exactly. Mm. And, and as a teacher, I am, I always love to kind of shock my students in a way when I'm eating something that maybe isn't like, like that ice cream. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe I'm having a bag of organic potato chips Mm. because I want the crunch Mm. and, um, 
you know, that we start to loosen up our judgment mm. on food and truly look at, you know, what's added here, how far away from its original state is it? Yeah. You know, like I think of corn, you know, when you, of course, corn is so genetically modified, but if you can get organic corn or blue corn. Yeah. It's delicious. You no, know, we eat it as corn puffs. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. about steps removed from corn, mm. you know? So how often are we eating that, that just because it's a organic natural cereal, it's still quite removed mm. from its original state. Yeah. So uh, you're saying basically just because it's a single ingredient and you think, oh, no additives, yada, yada. It's kind of like those brown, ra- brown rice cakes, like the, and they've all been puffed and pressed into a shape. That's still a processed food, right? Right. It still is. So it's and still, it's still on one of the, yeah, maybe not every day, but maybe when you're like, oh, that's exactly what I feel like. And it's a one-off it's, it's not to judge yourself for it. Exactly. Mm. Like it doesn't mean it's a great food just because it's just brown rice cakes. Yeah. Right? It, it's actually not. And I see a lot of, you know, disturbance happen for some people who that's what they eat every day. Mm, got it. And I, I think so what I'm hearing from, from what you're saying is one of the best frameworks we can operate from is to develop a deep connection to where your food comes from, how it's grown, raised. Um, and within that, to eat things within their natural life cycle for the most part. Absolutely. Hmm. And to really start to, as much as you can, I I have a a great story. When I was younger and I was um, doing my, my thesis for my master's, I was living on the Navajo Indian reservation. Oh, wow. And I got invited, I was the nutritionist there, and I got invited to a a Navajo Thanksgiving, which is nothing like an American Thanksgiving. I could imagine. Yeah, Yeah, they're not so grateful. (laughs) No. (laughs) And um, I was, of course, I was the only white person there. I, I was, you know, worked in the hospital, so I'd gotten very close with different families, especially around food. And I was pregnant at the time mm-hmm. and I'd already had enough like dysentery and morning sickness, you know, so oh, I was a little nervous about going, but I was like so excited. I was going to get to cook and eat with the Navajo women. And we were going to, I was going to learn a little rug weaving and, and I got there and we were weaving and then it was time for dinner and they had multicolored little marshmallows that went into green jello mm. and uh-huh. pre pre-made muffins, you know, easy bake muffins and Kool-Aid and um, mutton, which is old sheep. Mm. So so not quite the um, amazing uh, indigenous authentic experience you thought you were going to have. In in fact, we sat down and I was terrified. Mm. I was eating vegetarian at the time because I was kind of afraid of the foods in mm-hmm. my area. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I can't eat this food. Mm-hmm. Right. I had so much judgment and it wasn't great food, but I had so much judgment around it. And the head of the, the family, the um, head man of the family mm-hmm. got up and gave this beautiful, beautiful blessing mm. for his 
family being together and the life of the animals and everything that they, they received from the earth. And I was so impacted. I was sitting there going, you idiot, you mm. need to eat the, just eat this food. And, you know, like, and I had the most extraordinary meal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There was so much love and so much gratitude and so much connectivity in the family clan that I was in that I felt fabulous after this meal. Mm-hmm. Says so much, doesn't it? Yeah, it was a super lesson for me. Yeah. And so you obviously then went on to explore energetics and food um, more as you um, practiced and, and noticed that that kind of experience within your own life. I think those things are so powerful. They teach us to help teach others, right? Yeah. Um, how has that uh, formed your, um, I guess, further study and exploration into energy uh, and our own personal health and the foods we bring in um, and how it all relates, like how we can start to understand ourselves at a deeper level to, to perhaps really heal because I think a lot of the time we think, oh, I've just got to eat like foods that are going to feed the good gut bugs and then I've got to do this. And it's all quite granular and matter of fact and factual and um, and and matter driven. But the energetics aspect is just as important. I mean, you know, we have people like Bruce Lipton who've been teaching us this for decades um, can you talk about that in your own experience and practice and, and how you've seen it really help people um, truly develop positive relationships with and health from the food they choose? Absolutely. Mm. Um, I mean, it is the, the basis of my work along with the psychology of symptoms, mm. um, you know, really listening to the voice behind the symptoms or the consciousness behind where that symptom lies tells us a lot, but in the foods, the energetics to be simple, you want to look at how that food grows or lives, you know, is it something that's high up in a tree? Is it deep down in the earth? Because that gives you its signature. Mm -hmm. It's like its personality, right? Is it a, a rooted food? Is it really sweet? Does it bring your energy up and out, right? So you're looking at color, texture, how it grows, um, and, and, and then flavor, mm. right? To inform you about the energetic nature of food. And um, I had a, early on, I had a, a client who came in with a son who was, um, diagnosed with ADHD. He was really unable to focus and all over the place and extremely hyper. And when I looked at his diet, he only ate white foods. Mm -hmm. He drank milk. He had white bread. He had cottage cheese or white cheese. And I mean, it went kind of on and on. Maybe he'd have an occasional strawberry mixed in there or, or something, but white food is very expansive, mm -hmm. right? So he had no coherence in his diet. He also was able to like eat whenever he kind of wanted to, because he was such a picky eater. 
Ah, this, so do you mean by able to, you meant, uh, you mean um, that the parents would be like, just eat anything because anything's better than nothing. And so there were no boundaries around timing no boundaries. or sitting together or any of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or even a plate, a bowl to wow. contain okay. food. Mm-hmm. But there was no container mm-hmm. for this poor child's energy. Mm. So as I introduced one more rooted foods and denser foods into his diet, had him eat out of a bowl, had him sit down. I mean, we're not even talking about food additives and colorings. We're just really talking about the very basic textures, colors, and coherence of his Mm -hmm. food. And bringing some grounding. And bringing grounding in. Mm his nature began to change. Wow. And he began to experience other flavors in the food. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we did it slowly, like we would take those puff cakes that you were talking about, which are also white, right? And um, I would put peanut butter on them, Mm. right? So I gave him some fat and some oil, but it was brown. Mm. And peanuts grow very low to the ground. Mm-hmm. They're not a nut that grows up in a tree like an almond. So they have a little, little different quality, but they're very contained and dense. Mm. Right. So we started to bring things into his diet that allowed his energy and thus his mood and his ability to focus to cohere. Mm-hmm. And so I use the energetics of food as medicine. Yeah. Because you're bringing those qualities in. Mm-hmm. I had people come in. This was kind of one of my favorite tags here. And um, a lot of anxiety, I will say kind of uptight and anxious, you know, and like that. Yeah. In and their sympathetic state. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, mm. and kind of like this. And they're like, oh, oh, I'm really worried about heart disease. I only eat chicken that is boneless, white meat, and skin off. Mm-hmm. And I, I only eat chicken. And um, <laughs> I eat potatoes. <laughs> and um, we're still in white foods here. Yeah, we are. What is the energy of a chicken? I mean, I have chickens. I love my girls. But they're very uptight. Mm-hmm. There's a bird that don't fly, that doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So they're very anxious. They run around, they peck at things. And then you take its skin off and it's naked, Mm. right? It doesn't have the coherence. It doesn't have those natural, um, it's natural. It's natural partnerships. Yeah. Like it's like taking the egg white from the egg yolk. Mm. Yeah. Like it it makes no sense to me. Mm. Mm. Well, by bringing in, Uh, some red meat into this person's diet and some broccoli and, and foods with more Mm. connected earthy, bringing that energy down and in rather than up and in, Mm. we began to have that sympathetic response. We were able to get it into some parasympathetic. Wow. That is so interesting. Um, as someone who's been recovering from really bad mold exposure for many years, 
I got very sick and I'm getting better and better. I'm five years out now from that time. Um, but I, I just remember, and I had never really been, a, a, well, not never, but in my 20s and 30s, I would definitely favour chicken if I was to eat meat and um, I'd eat majority um, plant foods. And I remember just craving beef in a way that I could not explain. And, of course, you know, I was severely deficient in B12 at that point because mould tends to sap that away from you. And, um, and, uh, and then of course your neurons need all those amino acids to rebuild. And I was twitching and tremoring and spasming. It was horrific. And, uh, and it was just incredible how healing that food was for me, um, and still continues to be. I notice it straight away when I, um, when I don't eat enough of it in my week, um, and so I don't care what study comes out about what I'm, I know what my body needs. And, and I think that is a very exciting place to arrive, especially when most nutritional studies are um, uh, engineered from a particular place of wanting to find a certain thing out of that study to then have a commercial prospect um, for something else. Um, you know, that's just happening more and more. And I just don't think people understand that. And again, it just disconnects us from what we know we need. And then once we know what we need, we do our absolute best possible to create positive connections from great people doing great things. Mm. That's, I love hearing you say that because I will take it even a little step further for you, Mm. not that to look at you had a mole uh invasion mold mm. invasion that's a pretty good way to describe it that's what it felt right? like yeah <laughs> and 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 what's mold and um even the word invasion mm. right so there was there's always something that is resonant mm-hmm. in the field and so i would imagine that you probably were at that time, a person that probably didn't have really good boundaries. Oh, no, I had terrible boundaries. Yep. Right. Yeah, Cause I was, I'm always curious. Mm, that's that's yeah. the other side of my work. Like it's, yeah. why do you get a mold invasion and mm. somebody else gets, you know, a tick bite mm. or somebody else gets, you know, I mean, it, I, Bruce Lipton taught me a lot and I, I really look at that and try to heal your relationship to boundaries mm. as you're healing the physiological, you know, gut mm. and replenishing this new microbiome in there so that there's a real nice synergy yeah. in your healing. Absolutely. And- yeah. I, I literally can map out learning to become a boundary person with getting better and better and of course it wasn't the only thing there are many you have to leave the poisoned building you have to do all those things of course but um I definitely agree that things happen to the extent at which they can affect a person because there are other things as a part of that soup at that point in that person's life well even moving out of that building was like a statement Mm. on you said I'm going to take care of myself Mm -hmm. yeah you know even though this is like horrific and I have to move, I'm going to make myself first, mm. my yeah. health and well-being. So it, it's such a beautiful, you know, in, in hindsight, difficult mm. 
and yet beautiful journey that we go on to actually heal ourselves. Yeah, and, it, it really is. Mm. And what a gift that mm. you're, you're giving to all of us by sharing these, these insights, because it's such a different perspective to start to look at, at bringing agency back to healing ourselves rather than, than giving it up to some expert. Mm, so yeah, true. Well, yeah. I came up with just as many answers from within me as from external sources. And I think that's a huge part of the healing in itself. Mm. Absolutely. So, so I think we should just talk a little bit more about this topic because it is really fascinating. How, how can someone start to um, self-assess? Like, is it journaling and food? And, you know, I hate to bring in the term food diary and like being quite analytical about your food, but more in a curious, playful kind of, oh, it's really interesting on Monday. I was feeling really anxious about that job interview and then look at the foods I was choosing, you know, just more of a curious exploration through journaling rather than nitpicking and judging oneself. Is that a good thing to start doing for people? Absolutely. I think mm. I like to say that we go through the awareness stage and that's just awareness. Like, Hey, today, you know, I had a test. I was really stressed out. You know, I had, you know, on the run, I grabbed a, a smoothie and I went into my test and I, I really wasn't able to be as, you know, coherent. I knew the information, but kind mm. of, I couldn't really focus the way I wanted to. And then after the test to celebrate, I went and did X, Y, and Z and just, just journal it yeah. to start to see over a time period, does something speak to you? Do you notice a trend? Mm. Do you notice a habit? that then relates to a mood disorder, so to speak. Mm -hmm. like I get really grumpy at three in the afternoon. Mm. Well, that's curious. You have a blood sugar drop, right? So, yeah. So key is to actually be journaling bigger than the foods you're eating, right? So Absolutely. it's about what's happening that day. It's about how you're feeling about what's happening that day. It's about what someone did and how you reacted and, the food within that so that you can start to see some patterns. Right. Because it's all about like what we bring mm. to the table and that's what informs our choices. Mm -hmm. And so then the second stage is an acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay. It's, it's not judgment. It's just pure acceptance. Brilliant. Acceptance comes from the heart and it just really allows you to go. Oh. Mm. There's a certain kind of peace and acceptance. There's mm -hmm. not a yeah. And then you can get to understanding mm -hmm. right? after you accept it, you can understand, wow, I am doing this because I'm so stressed out. Mm. I, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm really missing uh, my friend who passed away or whatever is informing the system. Mm. Right. So you understand, or I, I do this because as a child, I got compliments for doing this, or I got reprimanded. So I don't do that. I mean, we do things incredibly unconsciously, yeah. you know, as Bruce Wilson said, it's all set in, in our first seven years. And after that, we're just responding from that. So coming to that understanding is deep in the body mm. and from understanding, then you can make resolution, right? You can resolve, well, I really want to bring 
some animal food into my diet because I'm missing those amino acids and I'm missing those neurotransmitters that mm. would help me, you know, feel calm and take me out of the sympathetic stage. Mm. You can resolve because now you understand mm. and then you can take action. So interesting. And then, so how does it manifest for people emotionally or what you see play out when they're not eating enough fruits and veggies and those, all those colors of the rainbow, what do you sometimes see there in clinic? I, I see aggression mm. because they're more inflamed. They're hotter. Inflammation mm-hmm. is a big word today, right? Yeah. Because it, it's a disease state really, mm. but you'll see more agitation, more self um, berating. So mm-hmm. it can be turned outward or inward. Mm. Ah, this is going to be fascinating. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because they're holding on. Mm. This happened to me, you know, and it was in, you know, it wasn't right. So a resentment almost for the situation. Interesting. And, And then we have that kind of fluctuation where we go from guilt, you know, guilt and shame can be the biggest destroyers in our psychology and Mm. our physiology. And so I think when we use this kind of mapping system that I called and you do it, you know, with that sense of, I just want to discover Mm -hmm. what the heck is, is driving these habits. Yeah. And we can start to set up new neuro pathways, like, like taking, you know, the, the old albums where you had the, the needle and it went on a particular track, you can get the needle to lift up and move it into another track. So you don't have to keep repeating that. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful metaphor. I love that one. And, and so, you know, I, I just feel it's, that's what I mean by bringing agency back into, I think as we learn to observe ourselves and really sense how something affects us Mm. in our body, then we go, oh gosh, you don't have to wait for a blood test, you you know, to to show you. (laughs) (laughs) And then does that mean we can kind of do away with calorie counting restriction, uh, um, elimination diets, because we're actually feeling our way through our connection to food again? Right. You can Mm. definitely do away with calories. Mm. I have a great story about calories being. Oh, please tell. Yeah. (laughs) So in my sordid past, I lived in a spiritual community for a time Mm -hmm. when I was young and um, I was an avid runner. Okay. And in this community, we ate a very specific diet. We only ate two meals a day and we ate a very um, prescribed like amount of food in a single bowl. Uh Uh-huh spiritual practice. Right. Right. And I weighed perhaps three pounds over what would have been my ideal weight, but Mm I ran every day. So it does not quite compute. Right. Uh And so the, the leader of the spiritual group put me on a diet and cut what I was eating was one and three quarters cup of food. And he cut the amount to one and one quarter cup of food. Now, I don't know if you've ever fed your cat or dog, little dog, Yeah. but I started eating out of a, a tiny bowl mm-hmm. and I ate and uh, 
it, we would sit and eat our meals in a very kind of conscious eating fashion. Mm-hmm. And I would be sitting next to a man who was eating three and a half cups of food. So you can imagine the difference. The difference. Well, yeah. I, would, I would sit there and long for that food. Mm-hmm. And I would eat like, okay, I'm going to eat the carrot. Now I'm going to eat the little piece of meat. Now I'm going to eat the potato. You know, oh my like, goodness. Yeah. Right. So I would take as long as everyone else was taking mm-hmm. and I didn't lose any weight. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so by all calorie considerations, I was under eating calories immensely, mm-hmm. but I didn't lose weight because I was holding on to the food in my mind. I was making what I was eating more. Oh, wow. Gross starving, but it's not great if you want to lose weight. That is so interesting. So that's there again, I was completely like, wow, this is really crazy. So I could eat more and do so with this sense of it's fine for me Mm. because I was eating good whole foods. There was, you know, we were in this particular, you know, spiritual group and our foods were great. Mm fascinating so basically if you have a sense of lack then you will tend to retain the weight or put weight on Mm. and if you're afraid i mean think when i say the word restrict what happens in your body Mm. you contract right you hold on right so as soon as you tell somebody oh you're gonna have to remove dairy and and gluten and corn and eggs, whatever it is, probably the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. The whole body starts to freak out. Mm. So how you, how you come at what you have decided to eat is just as important as what you've decided to eat. Absolutely. Mm. Because our minds are just incredible. Yeah. That is going to get a lot of people thinking. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, you've been, I've, especially someone recovering from um, multi-system inflammation, like there are some dietary changes that you have to really make and, and, and stick to. And I remember um, intermittent fasting was one of the first things my doctor wanted me to, to do just because, you know, if you can just give the body a break from digestion, it can actually start helping itself to clean up. And I understood the theory but I came at it from a place of deprivation. So as soon as the tap was on for being able to eat at like 11 in the morning or whatever, I would just never feel satisfied. The whole time I was allowed to eat, I would never feel satisfied. And I found that really fascinating because so often in my past, I've just not been hungry till midday. And so I just haven't eaten till midday. But in those times, I wasn't thinking about, I'm not allowed to eat. <laughs> I was just not hungry. So uh, this, this defined, like, you are going to have to do this, made me bring a different energy to it, which is I have to rather than I get to, or this is great for me, or how fantastic that I'm going to be able to heal more quickly. I just came at it the wrong way and it was an absolute disaster. And I right. had, to, I had to rethink the whole thing. Yeah. And it was how it was given to you. You know, mm. if you were my client, I would have said, we're going to take your uh, organs on a little vacation. Yeah. See, that is something I could sign up for. 
Hmm. Right. And so here's how we're going to do it. We're just going to play with this for a few weeks and Hmm. see how you feel. Yeah. Right. We're going to like ease you into it. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh my God, this is what you've got to do. It's not that intermittent fasting is bad or wrong. It's actually a great healing um, orientation mm. in a way that you obviously even naturally were drawn towards because you said, I'm not really hungry until this time. Yeah. But as soon as it made it a prescribed diet, your yep. whole body went, eh, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so I think that so much has to do with how we talk about it and think about it. Hmm. And, you know, yes, we are riddled with inflammation, but let's look at both parts of that. And how are we going to, you know, eat these certain foods that will help decrease it? And how are we going to like eliminate some of the inflammation in our psyche? Hmm. And why are we so inflamed? You know, mm-hmm. there's something driving that horse to, mm-hmm. to eat. And so when you start to kind of bring a much bigger picture together, mm-hmm. you get a real healing. And yeah. then maybe you, you could eat that food, which you were never able to eat because you were so sick, mm-hmm. especially if you get the gut healed. Yeah, Absolutely. It's just, uh, yeah, so many good things to think about, Esther. Thank you for this conversation. It was wonderful. I think we twisted and turned like the Colorado mountains. It was, um, (laughs) we went everywhere. I really appreciate you jumping on and uh, being a part of the show. It was such a fascinating conversation. People can connect to your work through the show notes. Is there anything you'd like to say to finish up? Um, Just, I really appreciate that you're bringing this work to the world And that just the last little bit on what we were just saying is that often we eliminate all of these different things and we do feel better, but we haven't healed the gut. Mm. And so we really have to go in both emotionally and physically and heal the gut, whether it's replenishment, restoration, however that looks, because then once you get the system reorganized and restored, you might be able to eat that food on occasion that you love that you've removed from the diet Mm. that we don't have to think of these as lifelong kind of uh, judgments, prescriptions, Mm. but do the real healing will actually open up your possibilities rather than limit them. Oh, I love that. What beautiful final words. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at lowtoxlife or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks 
and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.